You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, sponsored by Natural Stacks. If you're into biohacking, performance, or getting more out of life, this is the show for you. For more on building optimal performance, check out OptimalPerformance.com. You were looking for a way to change your life. You got it. I kind of think in some ways, selfishly, that it should remain a secret because it is such an advantage that I kind of want to keep to myself. Natural Stacks. Natural Stacks. Shout out to the guys over at Natural Stacks. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance. Optimize yourself. All right. Happy Thursday, all you optimal performers. I'm your host, Ryan Muncy. And today we are chatting about dreaming and lucid dreams with our co-host, Mr. Ryan Hurd. Welcome to the show and thanks for hanging out with us, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Hey, so let's introduce you to our listeners, Ryan. Um, You are a dream researcher, an author, and an educator. Um, In just a few minutes, we're going to find out exactly what a dream researcher does. Uh, We're going to share with our listeners what lucid dreaming is all about. Um, This is kind of a new topic for me, so I'm excited to to dive into this. But before we do, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, So for our listeners... Uh, As always, you can go to OptimalPerformance.com to see the video version of this podcast, and that will come with links and resources to any of the cool stuff that we talk about. We'll have links back to Ryan's research and his website um, and any other show notes that are relevant to what we talk about. Um, And of course, make sure you head on over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review like this one from WorkoutNut11. Uh, I don't know who you are, Workout Nut 11, but you went straight to number one in my heart with this review. Uh, I promise our listeners I did not uh, put this person up to it. I don't know who this is, but uh, love this show. Ryan Muncy does an amazing job. Great guests and great content. The questions asked really drive the show better than most podcasts. So uh, that's awesome. Keep letting us know that you guys like it. Um, leave us some, some reviews. Let us know, you know what guests you want on the show. What information can we give you that will help you guys uh, achieve optimal performance in your lives? Because that's what we're here for. Um, okay, so fact of the day, before we really dive in with Ryan, I was doing a little bit of research on dreams before we started. Um, and I found out that some of the world's greatest inventions uh, came from the inventor's dreams. So for example, uh, the Google homepage. Tesla's alternating current generator, the periodic table, the sewing machine, and the spiral form, uh, the DNA double helix. So these are all things that that popped into people's heads during dreams and have altered the course of history. So with that said, Ryan, let's jump in. Um, What does a dream researcher do? uh, And, and, you know, how did you get into this? Yeah, great. Great question. Well, dream studies is at a really interesting point in history now. It's finally becoming its own discipline that's sort of branching out of the traditional disciplines. So what I do is basically it's interdisciplinary. I do anthropology, psychology, consciousness studies. And uh, I teach um, online. Most recently, I was teaching at the Rhine Institute, teaching about dreams and, and psychic experiences. Um, but I've also given lectures at Stanford University on sleep paralysis and nightmares, and a few other places uh, around the United States. Um, for myself, as an independent dream researcher, it's a lot of writing <laughs> and a lot of late nights. Uh, okay. And it gives me a lot of freedom. And, and basically, I have a back end. I sell, I sell books uh, and, and digital products that kind of that, that help me keep aloft. 
and I make uh, and I make alliances with most of my colleagues are from the International Association for the Study of Dreams. Uh, a great place to check out if you're interested at all to see what dream research is looking like today. Um, from what the clinicians are doing, the sleep researchers are doing, neuroscience, as well as people who are working with dreams um, on a you know peer-to-peer level, like people who want to work in a dream group um, and remember m- more dreams and work dreams even from a shamanic perspective. This organization uh, it is really science from shamanism, which is one of the interesting things about it. So, so yeah, a lot of my work is online right now. I have a have a three-year-old son who kind of keeps me busy during a lot of the day and then I and I'm doing some work at night and then I'm working while I sleep so <laughs> it keeps me busy okay well a lot of our listeners like to do you know the n equals one the experiments on themselves so I, I think this is going to be a great episode and and hopefully we can give our listeners a lot of actionable tips and and things to um, you know play with and experiment with to find out what works for them so um, tell us what is lucid dreaming how is it different from regular dreaming Right. So lucid dreaming is knowing that you're dreaming while you're still in the dream state. Sounds it's, like Inception. It is Inception. In fact, Chris Nolan did his homework. He visited Stephen LeBurge, who was pretty much the scientific father, if you could say so, of lucid dreaming. He did a lot of the psychophysiological research in the 80s and 90s. And he really tried to put some of that research into the movie, uh, which was really fun for me to kind of watch the movie and see, oh, I see where he got this piece and he got that piece. Exactly. It's, it's, it's knowing you're dreaming. Okay. So in, with that knowledge comes power and great responsibility, let's not forget. <laughs> uh, but, but, but you have the freedom of choice more than anything. You have the ability to, to take a different path or to manifest content that's not there or to, you know, to go a different way, or to remember an intention from earlier. So there's lots of possibilities of lucid dream state that essentially mirrors your own waking interest. So if you have a passion for something, lucid dreaming can help you out with it. So is this one of those things where some people are just naturally really good at it, or, or is it something that you can, is a skill that you can hone? One of the interesting things about the research that's come out of the last 30 years, especially through Stephen LaBerge's work, is that lucid dreaming is a learnable skill. A lot of people who've never had one before um, pick up his book or some of the other books that are out there now, try a couple of sleep practices, and lo and behold, within two weeks, they have their first lucid dream. So it is a learnable skill, and I think that's exciting. Now, I do suspect that some people are better at it than others just because of probably natural probably physiology factors having to do with their sleep cycles. Uh, but motivation is probably just as strong. Okay. So what, what physiological factors uh, in regards to sleep cycles make somebody better uh, at lucid dreaming? Well, this, this is one of the things that we haven't quite figured out yet. But okay. what I'm suspecting, and this is more of my opinion, is, is that people who tend to wake up more in the night and who be, are lighter sleepers tend to have more lucid dreams. And what this has to do with, most likely, is the activation of the frontal part of the brain during REM sleep. Um, normally, I mean, let me backtrack. Well, you know, normally, when you go through sleep, you know, there's sort of, you're cycling through two, two, basically three major kinds of sleep. A light sleep, a deep sleep, which is very restorative, super important for athletics, you know, performance, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, deep muscle, um, you know, regeneration. And then REM sleep, which is classically dream sleep, 
Uh, and that tends to happen towards the second half of the night. Okay. So, so what happens in REM sleep in general is, is that the frontal part of the brain kind of is not as active as it is in the waking state. And the middle part of the brain, which is sort of our emotional center, uh, or our emotional logic, you know, the amygdala fires up. Um, and so you see a lot of just different kinds of scenarios that you don't expect in waking life. And it tends to have an emotional logic to it. Wake, you know, lucid dreams tends to be a hybrid of that in which you have some frontal activity in the frontal brain. And this has been d demonstrated through a by a number of different researchers over the years. And that this activity seems to be related to self-consciousness. Okay. Now, you mentioned that seemingly the, the people who have the, the most episodes or, or the, the greatest incidents of lucid dreams are those who sleep the lightest and wake up the most during the night. And I think from everything that I've ever heard in regards to getting high quality sleep, restorative sleep, recovery, and, and from our standpoint, remember we're, we're optimal performance, we, we want that, that deep sleep uninterrupted, not waking up. So is, absolutely, how do, how do we balance that? Right. Well, that, you know, th there's actually not a conflict there. Okay. You absolutely want to have uninterrupted deep sleep. Uh, but what tends to happen at, in the second part of the night, once most of us have cycled through our deep sleep already and it's already happened, is you tend to just scatter back and forth between light sleep and REM. That's when more of these arousals happen that might be related to lucid dreaming. And People basically are naturally doing this in which they'll say if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're up for a while, if you do some reading or some meditation, that's a method of going back into a lucid dream because you're arousing the, 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 the higher parts of the brain and going back into sleep. And so you're taking a disturbance and basically shifting it back in. So, so it is true. Now, this is the thing. If you, people who are into lucid dreaming... They do disturb their sleep somewhat. I mean, the practices do actually disturb the sleep. So it's good to be able to have a little extra time to sleep in and okay. basically make sleep a more important priority in your life. Okay. Which is never a bad thing. Most people need to do that anyway. Yeah. Oh, that's it. And, and that's actually, you know, because it's the water we swim in that nobody actually sleeps enough. Um, but you know it's the third pillar of health besides uh, exercise and diet. You know, if you're not sleeping enough, the rest is, is just going to go to crumb. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It, if you're not sleeping right or well or, or enough, then your exercise is going to suffer. You're, you're going to be more tempted to eat off track. You crave foods that you normally wouldn't crave. Yeah. It, it throws everything off and not to yeah. mention cognitive functioning and, and all of that. So I'm right there with you on that one. Um, Okay, so then, then I want to backtrack because, you know, like, uh, like the, the typical entrepreneur or the business owner who, who may pass out, you know, on the couch. I've, I've got a friend who owns restaurants and he always talks about passing out on the couch with his daughter uh, at 8 or 9 in the, in the evening. And then he'll wake up at 12 and, and he can't go back to sleep because he's got all these things on his head. Is, is, that, is that just the stuff on his mind or, or is that an element of lucid dreaming or, or maybe something that he could hone or, or any of us in that scenario could hone. Right. Well, I mean that, you know, as in, you know, that sounds like a, like a kind of insomnia of sorts. <laughs> uh, and, and it can actually, there was just a research piece that came out um, just last week on a blog called the psychology of lucid dreaming, talking about how insomnia can be an invitation to lucid dreaming. Right. Uh, because if you find yourself awake in the middle of the night, 
and you can't go to sleep, then you can do some of these practices that are essentially meditative or mindfulness practices that, well, on their own, they're important because they calm you down and they really relax you, which allows sleep to happen again. But at the same time, there's an edge to them in which you can still keep the lucidity as you fall back asleep and go straight smoothly from the wake state into a lucid dream. And that's, uh, well, that's what some of this research is suggesting. So, but the main thing with insomnia is, is a lot of it has to do with attitude. I mean, there are like lots of reasons people right. are, have insomnia, right? That, right? that goes beyond this discussion. Right. Um, but in terms of what I'm talking about, um, we have to be more naturalistic, I think, about the way we approach sleep and be okay with getting it while we can and realizing that, you know, actually the way that we sleep as Westerners is kind of messed up. <laughs> This whole, like, you've heard this probably, the whole consolidated eight hours. Right. Is, uh, right. It's historically, it's new. Right. I mean, there, there are plenty of figures over the course of history who slept whenever they felt the need to. And, and you know, it wasn't on that, you know, 16 awake and eight sleeping schedule. And even, even beyond that, I mean, those, those, that's like the creative personality type. And, yeah, you know, those are almost like you'd say non-phasic sleepers. And, you know, I, I know several people in my own life who have that now, and you basically have to make your life work around that, you know, and you're more likely, it turns out, to be an artist if you have non-phasic. You know, you're not going to become a banker. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Because it just doesn't work with the lifestyle. Right. Um, but if you look at indigenous cultures, um, and even before, essentially, the Industrial Revolution, like pre-modern European sleep, you see that people went to sleep earlier in the night, like your friend basically crashes kind of after dusk, right. wakes up around midnight, and it was not uncommon for people to be awake for a number of hours in the middle of the night in which they would use it as quiet solitude, time to write letters, um, you know, lovemaking, even visiting neighbors you know, by, by candlelight and, and having intimate conversation, um, prayer, of course, vigil, all that kind of thing. And then going back for a second sleep in the second half of night, which more or less lasts until the sun rises. That, I think, is the way that we're actually sort of, is the more natural way of sleeping, sort of the, way, the paleolithic way of sleeping, if you could put it that way. I'm not saying okay. that go on a paleo sleep <laughs> diet. <laughs> right. But in general, right? So, so I think we have to relax a little bit sometimes with insomnia and say, well, the most important thing is what the sleep doctors will say is, are, you know, are you tired during the day? Are you suffering from, from sleep, you know, from sleepiness and irritability and all that? And if you are, then you need to get more sleep and find something that works. So, you know, lucid dreams aside, let's say somebody falls into that category. What advice would you have for them? Um, you know, maybe your top two or three tips to, to get better sleep or, or to, you know, overcome insomnia. Uh, so the first thing to know about sleep is that if you aren't getting enough of it, it can actually take a month or longer to kind of get your mojo back. Um, you can run a sleep debt that lasts a month long biologically. So basically crashing um, you know, on Saturday or Sunday and catching up doesn't actually work if you're going back to the grind Monday through Friday to the thing. So, so you have to make deeper changes in your life. Um, everyone's got their own unique sleep need. I mean, most of us need between seven and nine hours. Um, and that's pretty typical. There's about two or three percent of the population who can survive on five hours of sleep that they're called short sleepers. Mm -hmm. 
and they're just apparently just they're just like they've got the genes for it and they're just wired like that um a lot of us think we're short sleepers <laughs> and we're fooling ourselves right. and we're just increasing the risk of cancer and diabetes and everything else that can go wrong with you as you enter the second half of life. Yeah. So, so to get back into a natural sleep rhythm, I say go camping. See what happens to your sleep rhythms. See what happens. See how much you sleep when you don't have um, all these things bugging you. You know, a nice four or five day trip, you could probably sort it out and get your rhythms figured out. Then when you come back from that trip, start making some nice allowances for a um, electronic free zone, I'd say, uh, several hours before you go to bed. I'm really glad you brought that up because that's actually uh, a question that I have written down that I want to talk to you about. Um, I, I've seen some, some people speak in conferences and seminars before, and, and I, this is not something that we've actually had on the podcast, so I'm, I'm really hoping that you can... Um, you know, shed light on this on the on the podcast. Um, you know, what effect do electronics like our phones, um, Wi-Fi networks in our homes? Um, what effects do those have on our sleep and and our quality of of REM cycles? You know, it's crushing it. I mean, in a bad way. Um, Everything that about what's happened with smartphones, especially and, and tablets, and essentially the way we cradle our media into into the bed, like that is not doing good for us or for kids. The statistics with kids are, are kind of alarming. You know, I mean, their kids are just as sleep deprived as we are, and their great ba- brains are growing. And you're like, oh, that can't be good. Uh, and so there's two main main effects, right? Number one, media use at night when it's emitting blue light in the spectrum from, from the monitor, is going to essentially uh, prevent the release of melatonin in the brain into the bloodstream, which means you're not going to fall asleep until later. Um, it, can, it can really suspend it by an hour or two. Um, and, and blue light you know, is, is what TV monitors and computer monitors are made of. Uh, it wasn't such a big deal with TV because people used to, you know, uh, be several feet away from their television. But the, our practice now is that we keep it within like nine That's, to twelve inches. Right. That's a problem. That's emitting a lot more photons, um, much more than campfires ever did to the, in the prehistoric <laughs> past, and much more than you know, Leave It to Beaver did. And you know, it's just it's it's worse. Um, and so if you are using an iPad or whatnot at night, um, they say 14 inches away is really a nice distance. Um, and number two, you can use different kinds of apps to, to change the composition of the, of the light in your screen. And I recommend Flux. That's what I've been using for years. Uh, it's, a great, it's a great app. It's on right now. Um, it sucks when you try to watch a movie off of Netflix and then you're, everything's dark and, and, and orange and you're like, oh, yeah. You know, but besides that, it's, it's a great app. So that's the number one thing, okay, is it's disturbing our sleep in that way. The second way is, is that media is actually disturbing us throughout the night in punctuated ways through texts, through emails, just through the bings and bops. Um, most of us are waking up in the middle of the night with, from alerts. And um, that causes sleep fragmentation. And when you get that, especially in the first half of the night, your deep sleep totals really go down. And if you're looking for athletic performance, this is not something you want to happen. You want that first half of that first four-hour block 
to be really solid. That's when human growth hormone is released. That's when all the stuff is happening with the washing of the, you know, the toxins out of the, out of the brain cells. Um, really important. So if we're hitting sleep fragmentation, you're going to stay in light sleep, um, and you might not get that, that deep restorative level. So uh, just, I just want to reiterate or kind of focus on that, like kind of put it in bold letters for our listeners. That first four hours, we want that to be as, as uninterrupted and as deep as possible for all those reasons you just mentioned. Right, right. And, you know, and one of uh, the ways I like looking at the, the night of sleep is the first half, that first four hours, think of it as restorative sleep. And then the second half of the night is thought of as integrative sleep. And that's when you're getting all these dreams and, and the lighter stages of sleep that seem to be related to memory consolidation. Um, and also, you know, performance. There's performance um, factors there as well. And that's what I want to touch on. Before we go all the way down that road, I want to go back to Flux. Um, I have that on my PC as well. And on my Macs, I have uh, my iPhone and my Mac, I have a, a blue blocker. And it's just a, it's a, it looks like a sticker. It's a clear sticker that goes over top of the screen. Um, but the Flux is F.Lux. And we'll actually have a link to that in the show notes. So for anybody listening, um, you don't have to go try to find that on your own. Just go to optimalperformance.com. And in the show notes, we'll have a link. You can go download it. Really easy to put on a PC. Um, so thank you for bringing that one up, Ryan. That's great. Okay. So the, the performance-enhancing benefits of that integrative sleep or, or lucid dreaming, um, how can we use those four hours to our advantage? Right, right. Well, you know, I, for myself, I first realized this when I was studying for an exam in college. And I was doing what I thought was going to be an all-nighter for biology. And I literally fell asleep on the book um, at about probably five in the morning or something like that. And so I had, I think I had two hours of sleep. Uh, and it was an early class, uh, other side of campus. Anyway, I fell asleep. And what amazed me when I woke up for the alarm is that I suddenly, I quizzed myself and about the stuff I had been reading. And it was all there. It was all there. And I was like, that's interesting. And I practiced this a, a more t times, and I basically figured out that, yeah, even if you get a tiny little bit of sleep when you're cramming for a test, that's better than staying up all night long. Um, there is some memory consolidation that happens. Now, that was just you know, my own personal experience, but this is backed up by research. Right. And we really see this. And we see this, um, and it's happening in a light sleep and in REM sleep as well, is there's some memory consolidation factors. And it's not just mental it also relates to, um, to gross motor behavior, right? So, so athletes, if they have a nap, if they practice something and dream about it, what we're learning is, is that they actually perform that task better had they not had a dream about it. When you think about that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. How is that? I mean, you know, we hear a lot of champion athletes talk about the mindset and, and visualizing something before it actually happens, you know, so that you get those mental reps. Is, is this on that line or is it? It is absolutely. It, it, it probably is the same effect in which the, you know, visualization and, and the mental game is so important to all kinds of sophisticated, mm -hmm. complex behavior. And dreaming, and in particular lucid dreaming, can be thought of as a visualization practice. And it's kind of a special one 
because in visualization, or as a you know sort of a waking right daydream, mm -hmm. um, you're prone to distraction, and it's not going to go as deep. If you're in a dream and you remember, oh yeah, I really wanted to like practice practice you know those shots. Uh, you are in the zone. You're not going to be disturbed. I'm so glad you said in the zone because as you were talking about, you know, taking that two-hour nap or, or 10 minute or, or getting any kind of sleep where your brain gets away from that struggle phase. Um, you know, I don't know if, you've, if you're familiar with um, Stephen Kotler and, and any of their research on the flow state. What they found is that that cycle, it, it is a cycle. So we are, we are, it's on a spectrum. It's not a yes or no phenomenon. We are always in some phase of flow. And as our brain, especially like those, those more complicated tasks, as we go through that struggle phase, we're accumulating, we're accumulating, we're trying to build these things. And then we need some kind of a break from it. And then when we come back to it, then and only then are we even able to or having, do we have the potential to enter the flow state? Uh, yeah, or as yeah. you said, get in the zone. So there's a lot of parallels between what they're talking about in, in terms of hacking the flow state and then what you're saying with using um, dreams or, or visualization, lucid dreams to enhance or optimize our performance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, lucid dreaming, I don't think works the same way as a flow state will work because by definition, lucidity is kind of a meta consciousness in which you've got a witness going on uh, being aware that you're in a dream state, mm -hmm. um, and that witness is what goes away during a flow state, right. right? Right. So, however, however, and this is where it really works, is that lucidity is the gateway to a flow state, and it is the gateway to other kinds of extraordinary experiences, you know, way beyond this, um, ecstatic, non-dual experiences. I mean, this is the stuff that the spiritual seekers have been talking about for millennia. Uh, and so, but it, it's absolutely true yeah. with sports psychology as well right. that you have to have, it's kind of paradoxical, you have to have rigorous practice and focus to be able to let go of all that and let it take you. Right, right. If, if you're focused on the mechanics in the moment, then you will not succeed. I mean, Tiger Woods in a major golf tournament should not be thinking about the mechanics of his golf swing. And if you watch him lately, you know that's why he's struggling. You know, 2000 era Tiger Woods was not that guy or or Michael Jordan shooting a game-winning shot is not thinking about, you know, where's my elbow and am I going to follow through or whatever, right? So Right. Right. Maybe these guys need to take up some lucid dreaming. Well, I, I'm sure that they have done some visualization. Uh, I, I know Michael Jordan was famous for, for working with sports psychologists and, and being able to get into the flow state. So um, It's okay. getting more popular, I'm, I'm hearing, with, um, with the football leagues that they're using, they're using sleep scientists now to, to really you know, gather up all the information they can get about a holistic way of looking at their game. So it's kind of cool. Awesome, awesome. Now, we're going to shift gears just a little bit. I know that you're involved with some really cool research right now. Um, tell us about galantamine. Am I saying that correctly? Well, some people say that. Some people say galantamine, galantamine. Uh, and it's true. I've, um, I just, uh, it hasn't been published peer review yet, but we released a poster at the International Association for the Study of Dreams, uh, two of my colleagues who work at the University of Texas. And... I don't work at the University of Texas, but I know them through the AASD. Uh, essentially, what we're experimenting with is just finding a, a people whose experiences of galantamine have led them successfully to have lucid dreams. 
And we're asking them, how were your lucid dreams different? And in what ways were they different? We basically ran them through um, a 20-question you know, quiz uh, you know, in which they basically went through it. Uh, and we based the questions on a lot of what we are hearing in the lucid dreaming community about how galantamine affects lucid dreams. And what we're hearing um, on the cultural level is things like, well, number one, galantamine helps you go lucid. Um, it also makes lucid dreams longer. It also can make them more vivid. Uh, and people are also talking that their, their galantamine lucid dreams are sort of more exciting less scary, uh, and there's sort of, so there's an interesting effect going on, and what we don't know is, is this a, you know, placebo effect, um, is this actually something that's happening, you know, on the molecular level or a combination of both, uh, and there's very little research in the dream community about this, however, galantamine has been used, um, and is still used to this day for Alzheimer's medication um, for improving cognitive function. So we, so we know it has a role of cognitive function and it improves recall. And the question is, is it might actually be improving um, and solidifying the REM state and possibly even metacognition or you know, self-awareness in the dream state as well. So our study, which was just, again, retrospective, we weren't doing anything clinical, but we basically found that people are saying that galantamine gives them longer dreams, more vivid dreams, and interestingly, um, less fearful dreams than, than those that weren't preceded by galantamine. So they feel a little more protected um, and are kind of having a better time at it. Um, and so that was interesting. And uh, so that's, that's what we've done so far. And our hope is to get this published this fall. That's really cool. I, I hope you guys are able to get it published and I hope you're able to take it even farther. So I guess let's backtrack. What is galantamine? Um, how much were people taking, uh, you know, when uh -huh. were they taking it? Because I've actually, um, I, I think I've, I've heard that there are some, some potential drawbacks um, with galantamine also. So, so what galantamine does is it actually prevents the breakdown of acetylcholine in the brain for, um, I think it has about an eight or seven hour half-life. Okay. And what acetylcholine is, is what gives us, what makes REM dreaming possible. It's sort of the chemical substrate um, that REM blooms in. Um, you can't have REM without acetylcholine-based memory. Um, and when you have, you know, and when serotonin is on the, on the rise, acetylcholine drops. And that's, you know, where we have sort of waking awareness. And so by preventing the breakdown of it, it's increasing, the, you know, the rigors of it and allowing REM state to happen if the brain is already in a place where it wants to go into REM. <clears throat> Here's the drawback. Take it at a time where you're not going to experience REM and you're going to have a pretty crappy time. For instance, don't you know, take galantamine the first thing when you go to bed at night. What happens is, is it works while you're trying to go into deep sleep. While you're, and, and it causes all kinds of a confusion with sleep staging. Um, and people report lots of things like... Um, night terrors, and even sleep paralysis terrors, you know, the, those feelings of paralysis where you can't move, um, they're very scary, very scary phenomena, um, and nobody really wants that, <laughs> no, you know? <laughs> no, no, that, that's, nobody's going back for seconds if, no, if that's, that's their first experience. That's not what we want, really. <laughs> right. So you take galantamine in the second half of the night when, when the REM state, you know, that integrative sleep, 
when REM is naturally, those cycles are going longer anyway. And, uh, and, and my colleague Scott Sparrow has, has also has a hypothesis that meditation with galantamine is even a stronger um, way okay. of going about it. So you're doing mental practices plus you're giving yourself a supplement. Um, and it's a natural supplement. It's synthesized from a number of plants, um, daffodil, the snowdrop plant. Um, so it's potentially it's something, something that, you know, shamans may have mixed in a cup at one point. It, Could have been. Well, tell you what, tell you what, you're not too far off because the, um, there is a, I believe it's in uh, Homer's Iliad where, 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 um, Odysseus gets dropped off on the island, Circe's island, and all of his men are transformed into pigs. Um, the way he rescues them is by taking is making a tincture or some kind of concoction from this snowdrop plant and giving this to the men and they remember who they are. So this so so it's got a long history for for cognitive for cognitive aims. All right. Who knew we were going to Homer's Iliad on the OPP today? <laughs> um, awesome, awesome. Um, is, is there a best practice in terms of dose amount for for galantamine? Um, recommended dose is between four to four to eight milligrams for for those who are taking it, um, and it is not regulated like most you know natural synthesized um, products. Um, and so, do your homework, I would say, and and take a look at reviews and look on Amazon and see what's out there, um, and just you know and kind of go go based on on that. That's the way it is, of course, in the supplements market. Um, but, right. but there hasn't been any kind of strange instances of impurity of galantamine, like there has, for instance, for trip, uh, tryptophan, okay. right. um, you know, which had a big scare a few years back. Um, um, so, so, you know, that being said, you know, there's also contra you know, indications with medications and whatnot. I have an article on my website that I can shoot you to make part of the show notes. Yes, Absolutely. Um, if you send us that link, we'll put it on the show notes. Um, so now I guess if, if you're saying that by increasing or, or preventing the breakdown of acetylcholine, um, uh, you know, it, I guess if somebody were to supplement with acetylcholine, uh, that that may increase the ability to experience lucid dreams. Is that correct? And, and are there other nootropics or, or, you know, supplements in that realm um, right. What people typically do is they take it with um, with choline, um, but however, a lot of people that causes awakenings, mm -hmm. um, and so it's not always recommended. Another thing that people often take it with is the some, there's the B vitamin complex, especially B six and B twelve. Okay. Um, those seem to have an effect on the dreams of making more vivid dreams. Uh, and paired with galantamine, you've got sort of a double a double punch with uh, with that, um, and you know. But you can also, of course, have a diet that is strong in the in the B complexes. That, you know, eat lots of broccoli and kind of that kind of thing, um, and 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 stay away from. If you want to just try the galantamine first and see how how it's like, I would recommend. I think probably the safest dose is just to start with four milligrams and see what that does. Some people, it, turn, it makes them so they can't go back to sleep at night. And so okay. if you are prone to insomnia, it's, it's possibly that, that that will happen. Okay. Um, so maybe the, the ultimate sleep, pre-sleep meal might be something like 
oysters for the zinc, some, some whole eggs to get some choline, uh, and broccoli with the B vitamins. <laughs> yeah. Maybe make a oyster broccoli smoothie. There you go. It sounds delicious. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let's, let's go down that food route just a little bit. Are there, um, ways to eat, you know, that can, um, help I mean, I know there are ways that we can eat that will help the brain function, but, but for sleep specifically? Uh, essentially, most of the recommendations I know are work for not disturbing sleep as well. And, mm -hmm. and that's just don't eat lots of fatty foods uh, before bed and, high, and watch your high sugar intake before bed uh, because of what it does to you know, your blood sugar. And that can affect the way that melatonin works and the way that the way the sleep stages, you might go to sleep quicker, kind of like alcohol, all the alcohol sugars. Um, it might help you fall asleep, but it'll disturb your sleep later in the night. Right. Uh, and so there's that secondary effect. That reactive hypoglycemic drop. Yeah. Yep. There you are. There you are. So uh, that's, you know, that's I, the food science degree. I, I can't help myself. I love it. No, it's great. It's great. And you probably know more about that angle than I do. Uh, but I, I do recommend, you know, if you're going to snack at night, you know, make it like cottage cheese, something that's a mixture um, of, of high density carbs and, and fats, and, but not just fat and not fat and sugar. Right. And, and a little bit of protein. Okay. Okay. Um, so I, let's go back to your research. Like what is the next step? Where do you guys go from here with this exploration? With a galantamine study, uh, we're, we're really thinking about going clinical for our next step and, and, and seeing if, if people basically do a double-blind placebo uh, in which you know, people take a substance and, and report their dreams back for you know, X amount of days, and then we'll, we'll analyze what you know, they said happened. Possibly we'll even hook that up with some uh, in-home sleep lab type stuff. There's a, some new devices coming on the market that might make that easier. So we could actually get some, take a look at their sleep staging. I, I'd be very interested in that. Uh, and as well as looking at their actual dream content, you know, and, and yeah. looking at how the dream content itself changes. So what kind of devices might those be? Well, right now, uh, so Aurora is about to release, um, and that's the Aurora uh, Lucid Dreaming Mask. Okay. And that has been, it had a really successful Kickstarter um, last year, okay. and they've, they're finally coming into production um, right now. And they're kind of unique on the market for their, it's a headband that you wear that actually senses your, your brainwaves versus by an EEG node. Okay. as well as uh, doing body motion and uses that to figure out when you're in REM sleep. And when you're in REM sleep, it flashes lights and you can even program sounds to tell yourself, you know, hey, you're, you're dreaming. Uh, and, you know, if you've kind of gone through some of the preliminary work, you're like, oh, yeah, if I start seeing flashing strobe lights in my dreams, that means I'm dreaming. Okay. And uh, so this is something that uh, Dream Masks have been around for about 30 years, but this is a very sophisticated one in terms of the actual staging of sleep. So I'm pretty excited about it, especially about how it might galvanize the sort of home sleep lab, yeah. you know, movement. You know, basically um, just the quantified self movement. Exactly. Of what, you know, what is your sleep doing? I mean, a lot of this um, we thought was going to happen with Zio. 
but Zio went, uh, went under, I guess, a couple of years ago. And it turned out that most people just aren't that interested in their sleep to wear a headband. <laughs> right. Uh, they'd rather use something that is on the mattress or something that kind of just passively gives them sleep information, even if it's not very good sleep information. Okay. Um, but the Aurora mask is interesting because it's for people who are very much into dreams, into lucid dreams, and they're motivated. And I think we might get some really strong data from them. Awesome. That's really exciting. Um, all right. So, Ryan, pretend like you're talking to me because, I mean, you are, but, but also to our listeners. If you had to give somebody two or three things that they could do to, you know, begin an exploration or a journey into lucid dreaming, um, what kinds of things would we need to do to, you know, develop that or, or, or get some experience with it? Sure. Well, the number one thing is, is you have to have pretty good dream recall to start with. And so I wouldn't suggest someone delve into these practices like waking up in the middle of the night and taking galantamine and going back to sleep. If they're not already recalling, you know, I'd say five dreams a week uh, at a minimum um, and even better, twice that in recalling a dream a night would re really be good. And the good news is, is that you can increase your dream recall very quickly by simply having a dream journal. So that would be it. I would say have a dream journal and start writing down your dreams or using, a, using one of these um, apps that are out there now for recording your dreams and, and just kind of get into the habit of thinking about what did I dream last night as soon as you wake up and as you go to sleep, uh, you know, reminding yourself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember my dreams tonight. Um, that's a feedback system that is very quick and effective towards increasing dream recall. And so that, that'll do it. And then from there, I would say, well, I would say that's when it starts getting interesting. Okay. I would say read, a, you know, read an introductory book on lucid dreaming. That will find, help you find your, your motivation for why do you want to go lucid in the first place. It'll, it'll kind of pump you up. That motivational factor is very hard to measure. But I think it's actually critical towards using these practices to, to go in lucid. If you don't know why you want to do it, it's not going to work. So have a, you know, have a goal in mind and then, and then move forward and then try some of these practices in some of the books that are out there. I have an ebook out there that, that actually goes through it. Uh, it's called the Lucid Immersion Guidebook. And I break down the practices that are out there into mental physical and emotional practices and essentially my method is of uh, is try to make it holistic and to try two or three things kind of at a time for a spell of a week or so and see how it works see how it goes what happens with your dream recall did you um did you have any lucid dreams did you come close did you did you question if you were dreaming uh and then you know so it's very, at this point of the conversation, people often talk about particular lucid dreaming practices to do. Uh, and there's a lot out there, but probably the number one practice would be to start doing reality checks during the day if you've never had a lucid dream before. And that is the practice of asking yourself in this moment right now, am I dreaming? And really consider it. And then ask yourself, how do you know? How can you test your reality? And the lucid dreaming community has come up with 
a few ways that you actually can test your reality. Because believe it or not, looking around your room and saying, I feel like I'm awake, is actually not an effective strategy. <laughs> All right. So can you share some of those with us? <clears throat> so one of, the, one of the classic ones is, is, is simply to look at the nearest clock or text on a book and, and look at what you, know, you read. Look away and then look again. And uh, in dreams, because dreams tend to be very unstable when it comes to text, often it will change or it'll flicker or something strange will happen or the clock won't be there anymore, right? Uh, and so then you know, ah, I'm dreaming. Uh, and so this is something that you practice in the waking state too. I mean, that's the point. You have to kind of make a behavioral cognitive practice. You're making a habit. Mm -hmm. um, that habit will bleed over into your dream life. Okay. Awesome. All right, so Ryan, this has really been a fascinating and amazing episode. We are almost out of time, and I want to get to our final question. But before we do that, let our listeners know where they can get more of you. And uh, I know you mentioned your ebook. If you shoot me an email with that link, we'll put that on the show notes as well. Bet, you bet. So check out my blog first. That's dreamstudies.org. And I basically cover consciousness, sleep studies, and dream studies with a particular interest on lucid dreaming for my blog. Um, and that's dreamstudies.org. And I also have dreamstudies.com, which is my shop, my digital store, Dream Studies Press. And I've got all of my ebooks there, and they're all arranged in bundles and kits and everything for convenience. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and I do have a couple of affiliate products as well there. So I try to kind of curate the best you know, dream studies-related gear under one roof. Awesome. Very cool. Now, before we let you go, all of our guests have to answer this question before they escape. Your top three tips for our listeners to live optimal. Sleep more. Dream more. And get out in nature. We didn't talk about that, but get out in nature. Very cool. Very <laughs> cool. Uh, maybe we'll have you back for another episode. We'll talk about getting out in nature. It's critical. Okay. Okay. Ryan, this has been awesome. I can't thank you enough for, for spending some time with us, sharing your knowledge. Um, this has been awesome. For all of our listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you guys head over to OptimalPerformance.com to get the show notes, all the links that we've mentioned, and watch the video version. And of course, go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and we will talk to you guys next Thursday. You were looking for a way to change your life. You got it.